Welcome back to Cookies and Milk, Bedtime Stories with Monica. How are you guys? So I asked you guys <laughs> what you wanted to talk about, <laughs> what should be the bedtime story for the evening. And per usual, because you all are my listeners, <laughs> we had some very lively responses no, I thought we'd talk about Obama. I'm kidding. Excuse me. How are you? No, really. How are you? Have you stopped to actually take inventory of how you really are? Like, how's your health? How's your spiritual health, your mental, emotional physical health. All of this has got to be taking a toll on you because I know for sure it has been taking a toll on me, but um, I've had to use the word of God who reminds me, excuse me, notice I said who, not it reminds me, but he reminds me, the word reminds me, to not worry about any of this. And it's so hard to do when I look around the state of my country and I just, short of a miracle, I have no idea how we recover. I mean, I keep telling you it's a convention of states. It's, it's, Each family, you know, one family, one household, one city, one county, one community, one state at a time. And then I read that that type of verbiage is considered extremism. And when you read things like that, especially as a person in media, it could very easily incite, excuse me, anxiety. Because you do... I have a choice to make at that point. I am either going to continue to believe in our constitution and our state's rights. And I'm going to continue to encourage you to do the same and to continue to seek and protect and curate your liberties that were secured many moons ago for you by many others. And understanding that that puts me, it can put me directly in the crosshairs of people who are not interested in maintaining this country's sovereignty or liberty. And so, sure, sure, anxiety can run amok in my mind, but once I've made a commitment once I've made a decision, see, it's easy to talk about liberty. It's easy to talk about states' rights. It's easy to talk about things that are now considered dissent of, of, of a criminal nature. It's easy to do that when it's not considered criminal. It's easy to do that when you're not in crosshairs. 
But once you know for sure that you have been placed directly on the enemy's radar, you have a decision to make. And once you make that decision, and this is going to speak to many of you who have decisions to make. Excuse me. As you can tell, I'm still dealing with my froggy stuff from last week. I want to encourage you to make a decision about whatever. Whatever it is that's causing you anxiety, just make the decision. And make a commitment to honor your decision. And ask God in his strength and wisdom to help you honor the decision. And hopefully that decision is going to lead you into green pastures and liberty. It may cost you. It may cost you, but it doesn't have to cost you your peace unless you relinquish your peace. I I had my first uh, health call this evening, and and I will be hosting them every Tuesday evening at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and the number will be up. Um, you'll also, I'll also have it on my broadcasts, my regular podcast schedule, but you'll also find it on social media and likely my, my website as well, monicamatthews.com. But I hosted, uh, this call this evening and it was, it, it was, it was eye opening to me listening to a physician who was on with us, um, and, uh, someone who understands the mechanics of the body, Um, On a cellular level, you know, just a whole other, you know, breadth of of wisdom and knowledge. And and, and I felt really good about that call because I'm a solutions-oriented person. And something I see happening are the effects of the state of the country right now. And I'm seeing a lot of anger and a whole heck of a lot of fear and frustration, disappointment, grief, and all of those things have a profound impact on our health. So I'm bringing things to you as for you to make choices about whether or not you know you want to investigate further uh, in, in what, it, what it is I'm bringing to the table. And if so, you know, making choices for your life or your family's lives that could help mitigate and offset some of the physical responses your bodies are very much so having to the stress that you engage in daily, online particularly. There's an addiction that goes along with social media. And it used to be, you know, people liking our posts. Well, now it's, excuse me, I dare say it's more about who who responds and resonates at your level of of anger or veracity or you know understanding of a situation who who agrees with like at least on Twitter I'm not on Facebook anymore thank god so I cannot speak to Facebook I'm sure it's still you know shares and likes and all that uh but but Twitter people at least on my followers are extremely engaged and um you know and you guys always have uh, a comment or rebuttal or response. I love it. I, I love the engagement. 
you know, until someone takes the time to try to tell me what it is to be courageous. (laughs) That always tickles me because I'm like, you have no idea. And until you walk in my shoes, um, do us all a favor and stay in your lane and either encourage me or just get out of my lane. I'm, I'm really clear about things of that nature. I don't take a lot of crap from people and it, and it helps my physical health and it would help yours too. I don't have to be angry or nasty about it um, or bitter or unforgiving, you know, my late pastor used to say this, why would you take someone else's sin into your body? Think about that. Why would you take someone else's sin into your body? Now think about that on a on a political level, your mother-in-law, your husband, you know, your kids, your sister, your neighbor, whatever, um, whoever it is you tend to have ought with or issues or fear, you know, anxiety, bitterness, unforgiveness, all that, you know, why would you take someone else's stuff and their inability to honor liberty and truth, why would you take that into your body? Excuse me. It's a very honest question. And it's one I have to remind myself of regularly, especially dealing with politics. And I am so, like I said, I look around and I wonder how do we recover? And and as a pilot uh, in training, I'm I'm taught to fly the aircraft, right? Fly the airplane, no matter what, whether you're on fire. <laughs> there's smoke in the cabin, whatever it is, my number one job is to fly the airplane and everything that goes with it. And so whenever I see this country burning to the extent that it is, I mean, I just watched a couple, well, I'll spare you that because it's bedtime, but I just watched something that was so disturbing in Chicago and and how that mayor is still walking around freely is literally beyond, it is beyond my comprehension. How they have not just literally uh, risen up in that city and collectively, legally taken her down through legal measures, through a complicit nature and just sickening, sickening negligence on behalf of her entire city. I mean, it is mind-blowing to me. So I watched something that was so egregious. It it was beyond, it's not the movies. It's happening in real time. It's awful, animalistic. It's grotesque. And it's very disturbing to my soul to see those things. Those images disturb me. And I'm actually glad they still disturb me because one of the coping mechanisms that the human mind will go to is either mockery or just, you know, you become numb. And when you become numb to certain images or or certain injustices, that's the time for you to really be concerned. As long as you've still got a little spark, you know, 
uh, your blood might boil, you know, whenever, whenever you see inju- actual injustices, um, and, and you are provoked to ask questions about how justice can be adjudicated, um, you know, what, what's the solution set here? What, what do I do? I know many of you are asking, what do I do? I saw where Emerald Robinson today, one of my favorite follows on Twitter, uh, lovely lady journalist, um, you know, she's like, people ask her all the time, what, what do we do? And she's like, take start taking people to court. You know, we have a judi- we have a justice system, albeit on life support, very anemic at this point. But you do still have recourse. So all of that to say, not to get you riled up before bed, but it's important not to take other people's stuff into our bodies. And so as you're laying down tonight to get ready to go to sleep or whenever you're listening to this, maybe you're starting your day. I know some people, you know, you listen to me as you're taking your walks in the morning and something that you can do that's so simple is just, again, take inventory of things that you need to release, people you need to release and take, it could be yourself. And when I say release, I mean in in the spirit of forgiveness It could be yourself. Maybe you need to look at yourself in the mirror and say, I forgive you. Maybe you need to have that conversation. It's very simple. I don't know why I keep doing this thing that I hate, but I do, and I know it's destructive, and God, I need your help. And I, in the meantime, ask for your forgiveness. I receive it, and I forgive myself. You'd be amazed how much brighter your outlook toward others becomes when you don't hold yourself to this inhumane standard of constant self-flagellation and unforgiveness. That is very ungodly. That is very anti-Christ to hate yourself. I mean, if you're a parent, you know what I'm saying. If you're if your child has been a cutter or someone who pulls their hair out or bulimic or they've attempted suicide, oh my gosh. I mean, how grievous is that to your soul as a parent? I mean, it just kicks you right in the gut where you're like, what? What did I do wrong? What happened? How, how, my, I mean, no, I want you to live. Are you? What are you doing to yourself? You know, now magnify that by a million with our creator, with our father who his word says he knows every hair on your head. For some of you men, that might be a little less, <laughs> fewer hairs, but he knows that too. So I just want to encourage you to get your accounts straight and then look for the God kisses. Someone asked me to share a God story. And so this is my God story for tonight. I'll leave you with this. I thought about sharing it for Father's Day because I saw where someone had, you know, I said something about fathers and and they brought God into the equation. And I didn't do that this year. For whatever reason, I just didn't. I it was a blanket statement toward men and fathers and I and I wanted I wanted men and fathers to be encouraged and edified on Father's Day and and that's where I left it. 
I didn't, I didn't go into the heavenlies with it this year, but other people did. And that's fine. And it was a good reminder for me that because I said, do me a favor as a widowed single mother, do not wish me or any other single mother, a happy father's day because it's wrong. I'm not a father. I'm not going to even pretend to be a father. I do not have fatherly characteristics. I don't want fatherly characteristics. I'm a mother. I'm a woman. I'm a female. I am feminine. I can have masculine characteristics. I can chop wood. I can change my oil. I can fish. I can hunt. I can lift stuff. You know, big deal. (laughs) doesn't make me a dude. And I don't want to be a dude. And there are things that I will never be able to relate to as a female. And that's okay. And so there were things that as a mother, I could not impart to my daughter. I just couldn't. And, and with that knowledge, I, I took great pains to find godly men who were paternal in nature, who could invest in my daughter. My father, God rest his soul, was one of them. And clearly he's a family member. Uh, but other men outside of my family, I thought it was very important to um, surround my daughter with men who, you know, could champion um, something in the way of, of, of paternity, of fatherhood, of, of a paternal nature, I should say, of fatherhood. And I have to be honest with you, many of them, for one reason or another, ended up failing my daughter miserably. Um, whether it was because uh, the wife became jealous or they had expectations of my daughter that were just completely unrealistic, um, you know, it, or they just dropped the ball and thought that they could be there as a mentor and just, you know, some people were seasonal, some people have stuck around for the lifetime, but, you know, just weren't as committed as, they had expressed they were they had a desire to be and that was that was very disappointing for my daughter so word to the wise gentlemen if you're going to commit and don't let this keep you from committing but if you're going to commit to be a big brother or or a dad or you know get involved in a community effort or with the widows and the orphans of your churches and and believe me a lot of divorced kids are just like orphans if you're going to get involved, please be committed. Be committed. Keep godly strong boundaries and be committed. So, and always include your spouse if you're married. Always. That is, always include your spouse. That is very important. If your spouse isn't on board and you have some jealous wife, then you're probably better off just not even you know, bringing someone else's child into the picture because it's just going to bring heartache. So you should probably just contend with your jealous wife without dragging everybody else through her crap. So I say that lovingly. But I did not allow my daughter to see me as her father because I'm not her father and her father died. I did not allow her to see my father as her father 
Because he wasn't her father. He was her grandfather. He was her papu, more specifically, because he's Greek. I wanted my daughter to know God as her father. In one way I did that by very practical application was I would take the word and say to her, now look, God has has instructed us. It says right here that if we ask that he will hear us, we ask him faith, right? As kids, we ask him faith and, uh, and he will answer our prayers. And so when things would come up, like summer camps that I could not afford or opportunities that I just could not, it usually revolved around money, finances. I just could not afford it. And um, I would send her to her prayer closet and say, Allie, if this is something you really want to do, I don't have the finances. I can, I could get creative and I, we can ask people for favor, but I, but I want you to pray to your father because he more than likely really wants you to go to this summer camp too. <laughs> and he wants you to have fellowship. And so I encouraged her not to be afraid to ask. And if, and if there ever appeared to be a disappointment, she didn't get stuck in that because we dealt with that too, because ultimately another door would open and a better opportunity would emerge. So, Living out our faith was a very practical, just practically applied day-to-day operation in our house. So I wanted her to know God as her father. And I would say, go ask your father. Mom, can I do this? Mom, and if I was ever torn about, you know, whether or not it was a, it was a wise decision to send her to something or to have her be a part of something or to apply to something, um, you know, I said, well, I'll pray about it and I want you to ask your father. So it, so it was a very, you know, a very just conversational, relational experience for her. And so I want to leave you with that tonight, that, that that is such a practical application of God. That's such a, a relational application and it's okay when things aren't answered exactly as you asked for them to be answered. And that's so easy for me to say to you because I really, really, really struggle with that with certain things in my life. Believe you me, I really do. It's hard. But I just remember the days that of asking on behalf of my daughter or watching her ask, and she'd roll her eyes and like, oh, I'm going to go ask God. When she was younger, you know, it was like, okay. <laughs> You know how they get when they get older, everybody's dumb, including God. And so um, it was like, really, Mom? But, yeah, I'm like, yeah, really. If you want to go, if you want to be able to take a summer uh, ambassadorship trip to Europe in three different countries, you better start asking your Heavenly Father. Because <laughs> there's only so many of these pins that you've created that we're going to be able to sell at our garage sale <laughs> to buy a plane ticket. And lo and behold... People would come out of the woodwork, um, ideas of, of who we should call. You know, it wasn't like the money just fell out of the sky. Or or I was directed to um, scholarships, right? Like ideas come your way. So some people are, some of y'all are just waiting for the burning bush, you know, and that's not how it always appears. 
It's just not. I said it tonight on this call. You know, many people have been praying that God would heal them, that God would send them to the right doctors. And I said, you know, sometimes God shows up, you know, the helicopter and the boat and all that stuff, right? And the dude dies and he gets to heaven and God's like, so fun fact, I came with this and with that, with this, and you just kept praying to me and I, and I kept showing up, but you never, you never saw me. And, and you guys, I think that starts with a practical application of the word of God and taking him at his word and, and just trying, just trying. God's like, try me whenever it comes to your finances, try me in this one thing and see if I won't pour out a blessing so big you can't contain it. And that's about money. I mean, that's about money. Now, imagine a child asking God, you know, hey, I, and granted, you know, it was something that she wanted to do. Her health was a whole other challenge. And you talk about a brokenhearted child who was so sick, so sick for her entire teen years. But she lived and she still did things that defied any form of logic, any form of man-made reason. I mean, she survived, and and there were moments when she lived really well, and opportunities still came her way. And, you know, I'm believing that as she gets older that the Word says even, you know, when they are old, they will not depart from it if you raise them in that nurture and admonition. And so I just want to encourage you that if you've become wayward or maybe you've never crossed that, uh, that personal Rubicon of yours to cross over and, or allow God to cross over your personal um, Rubicons, your, your personal um, offenses, your personal, you know, all of your reasons for not allowing God in or seeking him because you just don't want to be let down again or maybe, you know, for the first time. I just want to encourage you tonight. Give that some thought. You know, unless we come to him like little children, we won't see the kingdom of heaven. And the kingdom of heaven is within you. And that awesome, that is so beautiful and it's so powerful. And I just want to leave you feeling beautiful and powerful tonight with that truth. I'm not, it's not puffery. It's truth. The kingdom of heaven is inside of you. That is so wonderful. It's as wonderful as you are. So as you drift off to sleep tonight, I want you to know something and let this sink into your bones. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are loved You are accepted, you are safe, you are forgiven, you are protected, you are provided for, you are known. There's nothing about you that is unknown. And Jesus is still standing there at your door, knocking. So I do hope that you'll make the decision for the sake of your own soul and those of your family members to open the door and just begin your journey. And for some of you, it's beginning again. And that's okay. 
All right, guys. I love you. Sleep well. Till next time.